I so often hear people say that like my photos make them want to go on a trip or go camping. I know that not everyone has like the privilege of mobility, but we, I think, really suffer living in super industrialized metropolises. And I'm really thankful that I my photos are like a kind of a respite for people, but I, I want them to remember that there's like a world that's existing out there that is changing and being limited, uh, both because of cl the climate crisis and like our, you know, human impact on like wanting to build. And when you feel separate from it, I think it's, you, you miss those changes go by and suddenly it's too late. So to remember that like your life can also be present in those spaces. Welcome to the Our Nature podcast with me, Alyssa Benjamin. Our nature explores the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world. The opportunity to live a more joyful and harmonious existence is available to each of us right in this very moment. So join me and let's rediscover what comes naturally. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Our Nature podcast. If you're new here, hello. My name is Alyssa Benjamin. I'm a writer, a brand strategist, and host of this podcast where we talk about the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world. So far this season, we've covered everything from Ayurveda to aura colors, from herbalism to feng shui. We're almost at the end of season one, and I'm amazed and honored by the response you've had to this show. I truly believe in the power of nature to heal us physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and it's been a privilege to help you reconnect with the natural world throughout this season. I don't know about you, but this period of Mercury retrograde has been a real heavy one for me. In addition to a series of miscommunications and scheduling mix-ups, I feel like I've been digging through layers of old patterns and beliefs, and a lot has come up for me. One of the main teachings I've received over the past few weeks has been that I have the capacity to make things easier for myself, which seems like a no-brainer, but there are so many ways that I've made life more difficult for myself over the years. Whether that means simply not answering an email or text when I see it, therefore creating the possibility that I'll forget to do so later on, to procrastinating work so that I'm crunched at the last minute, resulting in added stress and anxiety. We seek what is familiar, and I've gotten so accustomed to stress and difficulty that I'll create the conditions where they have a home. I obviously don't do these things consciously, but it's the belief that life is difficult and stressful that guides my actions towards ones that will eventually validate this subconscious belief. Since bringing the unconscious conscious, I have started to make small changes that support a new possibility, that life can be easy. This looks like answering emails and texts when I receive them, or being intentional about how I spend my time so I can properly plan how to get my work done without procrastinating. For me, the idea of letting it be easy has resulted in a more grounded, positive, and productive version of myself. Given that this episode will air on the last day of Mercury retrograde, thank God, I invite you to compassionately ask yourself, given what's in my control, am I making my life harder for myself? And if so, what decisions can I make now to bring a bit more ease? As we head into the holiday season, that's all I wish for everyone. This week on the podcast, I talked to Molly Steele, a Los Angeles-based analog photographer whose work evokes an emotional discourse of intimacy, nature, and alternate lifestyles separate from the status quo. I first came across Molly's photographs on Instagram in 2015 and immediately fell in love with the deeply personal way she captures the natural world. 
What also impressed me about Molly was how she would embark on these solo excursions into the wilderness, which is something I could never fathom doing because I'm too afraid to be alone in nature. She happens to be one of my favorite photographers, and I was thrilled to have an opportunity to sit down and talk to her for what I believe to be her first podcast interview. This is also my first podcast interview in nature. We recorded our conversation at Franklin Canyon in Beverly Hills, the perfect setting to discuss how to connect with the natural world while living in a massive city such as LA. In our conversation, we discuss Molly's path to becoming a photographer, why she doesn't keep plants in her home, what it's like to go solo into nature, why people are so unfulfilled today, why we sometimes resist nature even though we know it can be healing for us, and what photographing the natural world has taught Molly about herself. This conversation was so inspiring and eye-opening for me. I know it will make you reconsider the way you interact with nature and with other people going forward. So, please enjoy my conversation with the wonderful and wise Molly Steele. Hi, Molly. Hi. (laughs) Welcome to Our Nature. Thank you. We are recording. This is my first outdoor recording. We're in Franklin Canyon, Mm -hmm. which is in what neighborhood? (laughs) Beverly Hills. In Beverly Hills. But you'd never it's in believe no it. Man's land, yeah. It's beautiful. It feels like we're in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's like a nice breeze, and we hear birds, and don't see any people or cars. I think it's the perfect place to record this episode because the whole point about our nature is that There's a way to bring the natural world into your life, no matter where you live. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really, this setting is a really perfect example of that. Like, there are still places. You do have to make an effort and you have to go there. But there are places in the city, no matter where you are, where you can go there and feel, if you close your eyes for a minute, feel like you're not in the middle of a city. Mm Mm-hmm. I I really rely on places like that, so I try to seek them out anytime I'm in a, even traveling, but especially living here, I have like a list of things in my back pocket of places where I can go to feel like I'm alone and not have to travel too far. How did you find Franklin Canyon? Oh, I don't remember I think um, maybe on satellite view, but I've been coming here for probably eight years. I'm not, I don't really call how I found it. Um, and I usually come here around this time in autumn when the seasons are changing because it feels like it here. Yeah. Maybe it found you. Yeah. It found <laughs> me. Exactly. You didn't <laughs> That's find our it. origin story. Well, I'd love to start with you at the beginning and in your childhood, um, what was your relationship like to nature as a child? Uh, I feel like I had a really close relationship to nature because my parents met in um, horticulture school and I they both decided that they wanted to farm. Um, my parents are herb farmers, um, like medicinal and culinary herbs. So I grew up very, very, very isolated in um, the woods uh, on an herb farm, and our whole lives revolved around that. Um, but also just in my parents' daily practice, like they watched the sunset every day over the pasture. Um, I mean, my parents were divorced and they both did this separately. Um, and our ways of recreating as a kid, um, as kids, my brother and I, we would go kayaking or canoeing or swimming in the lake. There's like hundreds of lakes around where I lived and several rivers as well. So I don't think I really distinguish distinguish nature as something separate um, until I moved to Los Angeles because it was just completely our lives. Yeah. Where did you grow up? In rural north central Florida. Whoa. Yeah. Um, very, very rural. The closest big city is I guess Gainesville's not that big but to me it was a big city that's like 30 miles from where I grew up 
but like actual big city is like over oh it's close to two hours away so and so I'd imagine you it it, I grew up kind of similar I mean I was definitely adjacent to a suburb but I was more in the country and so yeah I don't think I consciously was like I'm going into nature now Mm -hmm. it was just what you did as a kid and I think when you're a kid and you're not governed by all this programming it's natural you're just following your instinct and Mm -hmm. so that's why kids love being outside um when did you first become conscious of the difference you felt when you lived moved to a city did you like have a moment where you were like this feels unfamiliar or I'm feeling like part of something is missing for me that took me a while to feel because um while it was like pretty beautiful where I grew up uh, there was there was such little opportunity that my desire to move to the city was specifically to be in a city um and that consumed so so much of my focus was to live in a place where there was opportunity um whether that was to like have options for your job or um to make a living and um I think one of the one of the markers of noticing that I w- was in a totally different environment was when I when I heard people say that they would be going out into nature. Like I love going into nature and I thought grammatically that seemed strange to me, that seemed so disconnected and now I find myself saying it as well. Um because we really do, I mean this is a city of concrete, like you you really have to make a point to go out and then into nature to experience that. So over the last couple of years is when it's been extra heightened for me. Tell me about, so you moved to LA um, and you're a photographer. Mm -hmm. Tell me about when you started taking photos of the natural world. Was it something that started as a a passion of yours and then has moved into (laughs) the profession? I never, ever thought of myself as becoming a photographer like I never was interested in photography until actually a couple of years into already doing it um but I I was in college for botany and I studied field botany for several years so which is if people don't know what yeah so field botany is like studying plants in natural spaces so plants and their relationship to different elevations different um, you know, access to water or sun, um, their relationship with other plants nearby, animals. Um, and um, I spent five years as a full-time student while also working three jobs. So I had such, I had no life outside of that. Um, and it was really hard to maintain friendships or to let alone like ever travel. So my photography came from a place of like going on a lot of research trips in a school setting um, to some very special, not public spaces, like um, wanting to be able to share those with people. I guess that, that sounds so much more intentional than it was. But photography was like a way for me to take those places back with me. Um, and I was very bad at it. <laughs> But that's where it started. <laughs> and did you teach yourself from there? Yeah, I don't know if I've even taught myself yet. I've just like try. I've made an effort to take like slightly less bad photos over the years. Um, but I, I'm really trying to. I'm not sure if this is the right thing to do or not. But I'm like really trying to preserve the newness of photography for myself because um, I'm able to keep it in the realm of the passion when I yeah yeah when I stay like distant from it for for me I can I can understand that and totally relate and I think if you can have that distance it makes it feel joyful as opposed to like Mm -hmm. a task and yeah I think it reflects in your photos oh thank you yeah I really I mean I found you originally I think in 2015. Oh, I'm wow. not sure. Yeah, that was like how, right when I started yeah. thinking maybe it's time I consider myself a photographer <laughs> and like start using not expired film. Yeah, but I I don't know. I I mean, I'm I have asked for one of your photos for 
and I know I'm going to kind of embarrass you, but I've asked for one of your photos for like Christmas because I'm oh my half gosh. Jewish, but we celebrate that for three years and my mom just never gets it for me. And I'm just like, what I'll the get heck? it for you. <laughs> and I have your zine. I like bought your zine. Oh. I just think you have, it's hard to describe because again, I'm not, it's more of a feeling that I get because I'm not aware of like different techniques in photography. Yeah. So I can't describe it in professional language maybe but the feeling that I get when I see your photos is like it's this it's like a reverence and respect for the 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 landscape that you're capturing it's Mm. something that's hard to describe yeah I think um I get I you know I started shooting landscape mostly because I spent such so much time away from people that was kind of my only option um and because I didn't know much about photography, I just was automatically using the lens that was a fixed lens that was on the camera that I had, um, which was a 50 millimeter lens, which is like a portrait lens. And people don't, especially back then, like generally wouldn't shoot landscape on a portrait lens. They want like the grand vistas, like wide, beautiful shots that they can like make really detailed and bring out a lot of saturation I didn't shoot that way and so I feel like my the origin of my photography was rooted in being at those places not looking out at them um and because I only travel like in pretty highly like emotional states I think that like without intention the emotion is inherently in the images I think so I think you can you can feel it. I mean, that I had a question about, like, can you, in your opinion, do you feel like you can ever capture nature mm. in a photo or in a painting? You know, I think of, like, I try. Georgia O'Keeffe <laughs> or, you know, all yeah. these people. Like, do you think it's possible? Um, yes, I do. I think because 99.9% of my work is personal work. Um, rather than being on jobs, I am, am I'm emotionally linked to those memories and to those places. And when I see certain photos of mine, when I look back, and I really rely on looking back at my photos just for mental health, um, I feel transported to those places. I can remember the air there or how the water felt or what it smelled like. Um, and it brings back so much like sen- sensory for me. Maybe for people seeing those photos that haven't been to those places, maybe they're having a different, I mean, surely they're having a different experience, but I hope I can capture it in some way. Yeah. Just to like remind people that something special is out there that is important to experience. Yeah. Can you share a memory of a particular place that was moved you in some way or maybe that Hmm. you had never been to that you returned to when you look at your photos or well the Owens Valley for me um has always been a special place and that's one of the places I used to travel to a lot for my botany classes um and I've spent a lot of time camping alone there and um it's in the Mojave Desert. It's a, like a high elevation desert area, uh, especially as you drive more north. You you climb quite a bit. And the air, especially this time of year, is so crispy and light. But there's so many uh, like really beautiful scents that are in the desert. Um, and certain times of day like those scents just really blast you um there's lots of like false sages that smell really special and I every time I go to those places I like stuff my pockets full of these herbs and then find them in my pockets like months later in the city (laughs) um but I guess just like waking up at you know sunrise in my sleeping bag and being alone out there and feeling um a lot of I guess not feeling perspective, just like really experiencing the perspective of distance from the things that were bothering me in the city um, is instant when I'm there. When you when you leave there and and then, you know, you're back in L.A. Mm -hmm. and living Mm -hmm. your daily life. 
how do you draw from the natural world when you're in the city? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's hard. I I really struggle to carry it back with me or to to keep it with me for several days after returning. Um and I do a lot of isolating and maybe that's in order to ch- kind of preserve things. But my house I feel like is decorated in a way to remind me of those um alternative ways of being so that when I'm home in in the city I don't feel like I'm in like a big metropolis of millions of people um like do you have objects just things like plants in your house is that I don't have a lot of actually don't have any plants in my house which might sound crazy to people but I travel so much and um in the way that some people feel about animal liberation I really struggle to like keep contained plants uh it makes me uncomfortable (laughs) so at home it's more like colors that I've integrated into my life that transport me to like golden hour in the desert or um or sunrise at a certain river on the coast um Things from my trip that I bring back are usually like railroad related and those kind of bring me back into like a different time away from my phone, which is helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I I wanted to talk to you about and one of the things I was really struck by, and I know you've gotten this question before, is about how much you do solo travel Mm -hmm. um not only solo travel but solo camping solo nature immersion (laughs) as Mm -hmm. I'm calling it uh and I have done my fair share of camping I've done pretty extreme camping but something I don't think I would have the courage to do would be to do solo camping I just think I'd be too afraid Mm -hmm. how do you handle that I definitely think that i release like like so much more cortisol than the average person on a regular basis like I'm I'm quite afraid of everything and I always try to make that clear when people ask me about camping alone it I mean I have friends who are femmes that camp alone and don't feel any fear I personally do feel very afraid um but it's worth it's worth it to me, um, the discomfort. Um, when you're alone in nature, or when I'm alone in nature, I find it so much easier to tap into the place. Um, the sounds that we're hearing, even while doing this podcast, you know, the, the birds that are happening, and there's like a bee rustling through sycamore leaves on the ground over there. I feel like I could hear it. Um, I want that in my ears when I'm um out in nature yeah (laughs) it also feels like an opportunity to clear my head so that that's worth like making time for and pushing through my fear for but it doesn't make it any safer um like just by doing it there's still so many real threats especially to women camping alone um, have you ever felt really afraid as a woman camping? Yeah, I had a um, life-changing event occur a couple of years ago when a friend of mine who had never gone camping alone or with another woman came with me and um, something really scary happened to us uh, involving a man chasing us across we had to cross a river. We had to run through the forest at night. It was really, really terrifying. And that stopped me from camping alone for the most part, almost completely. I have camped alone several times since then, but um, I can't shake that memory at all. I really remember it in my body. But out of, you know, probably close to 100 times, 100 nights camping alone, um, that's happened once yeah so I think that the tools that you can bring with you are your wits and your understanding of the things that are possible that could happen and to just be present so that you're available 
um, to act on them if necessary. I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, I think it's really interesting that I guess when people think of camping Mm -hmm. by themselves, nature can be so scary. I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast before, just wanting to make it a safe space for people to express their fear of nature, because ultimately I do believe it's our most natural way to exist. Mm -hmm. But I think myself included, so many people are... They feel that fear just because it's not familiar anymore. Right. And then they res- they turn their back to it when I'm kind of saying, like, you can feel the fear and you can turn towards it. Um, so I've just talked a lot about that discomfort being okay. I do think it's really interesting, though, that, like, the experience you had of it being really not okay was not necessarily something that happened in nature. Right. It was. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Florida where everything is going to eat you or sting you. I mean, every snake is terrifying. There's alligators and spiders and bugs. And um, so I think that most people grow up in like Florida or Australia are afraid of certain parts of nature. But my biggest fear in natural spaces is, like, coming across a man. It's not—I'm not, you know, as afraid of, like, animal predators. In what part of nature do you feel the most comfortable? Um, I feel the most comfortable near water, big time. Um, But I think more specifically near— a river. There's something about fresh water that I really like and the movement. Um, and when there's a lot of precipitation, that also makes me feel really comfortable because it reminds me of growing up in a subtropical climate. So when like the ground is really moist and things are really thrive, like the, the life around you is really thriving, I feel... Um, like a vitality in me that I rarely access in like this Mediterranean desert climate in LA. I can understand that. What is the feeling or experience you hope people take away from your photographs of the natural world specifically? Mm. I feel like I use photography as a way to communicate that another life is possible. Um, I so often hear people say that like my photos make them want to go on a trip or go camping. I know that not everyone has like the privilege of mobility, but we, I think really suffer living in super industrialized metropolises. And I'm really thankful that I, my photos are like a kind of a respite for people, but I, I want them to remember that there's, like, a world that's existing out there that is changing and being limited, uh, both because of cl- the climate crisis and, like, our, you know, human impact on, like, wanting to build. And when you feel separate from it, I think it's you you miss those changes go by and suddenly it's too late. So to remember that, like, your life can also be present in those spaces they talk about how people are apathetic Mm -hmm. towards the environment and the mission of this podcast if there is a, a more if there is a greater mission would be that it helps people form a relationship and in forming that relationship care Mm -hmm. and notice what in living in new york or not New York, (laughs) done all my podcasts in New York, (laughs) and living in California and Los Angeles for 13 years, what are the changes that you've noticed in the environment that make you concerned or just have made you pay more attention to, like, the way that our Earth is changing? One of the biggest ways that I've, I've observed a lot of change, especially in California over the last um, 13 years is how the drought has affected us because there are so many streams and rivers and lakes that I've witnessed change to me significantly over the years, um, both 
in terms of like disappearing or getting lower, but also certain years where we had a lot of precipitation or higher snowpack or more rain, um, seeing the way that that caused flooding um, or wild wildflower booms. Okay, the city is presenting itself in the <laughs> yeah. form of a helicopter <laughs> as a reminder. A celebrity that we're not. helipad is calling. <laughs> no. Um, so I've noticed a lot of changes in like water level and how that affects the environment as well as um, the bark beetle infestation throughout the country that is totally eating the forests of the Sequoia National Park and Kings Canyon and Yosemite. But also human impact on things. Like a couple of days ago, I went to these caves um, on the coast that are, it's so beautiful. You rappel down to these caves that look out at the ocean. And I've been going to these caves since 2014. And this time they were full of trash. And I mean, I say full, there was a lot of trash in them and so much terrible graffiti that I just can't imagine like thinking it was a good idea to paint those things. And there were these guys jumping off a rock into the ocean and there was like a dish bottle soap floating next to them and none of them grabbed it. And I just thought like so many people appear to have come down in this cave recently that are disconnected (laughs) from what the cave is and from, from the ocean that like interacts with this cave and also to think about like rising sea levels that that cave won't even be accessible one day um i want to i want to know that under the ocean you know under this like surface it's still wild yeah i guess that was rambling but i feel really emotionally affected by the amount of trash i saw in this cave it's so difficult to see people disconnecting or the other day i was walking actually in new york And I saw a guy literally just throw a soda. He was drinking soda. Mm -hmm. And then he just threw it. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it's so shocking to me. But Mm -hmm. there's also so much to be said about like litter and the way that like corporations and capitalism have made us think that our individual impact is like the way to save the planet um, so that we like, ignore (laughs) the larger issues of like capitalism and production and waste um so there you know there's people that live in a city and they look around and they see trash and they see concrete and them throwing a soda like might make sense to them because that's all they know yeah the city is trash i think i think that like our impact on this earth is mostly garbage in thinking about people trashing this earth, as mm. awful as it seems, I think it's something to pay attention to. And I think there are many people who are just at the beginning stages of their journeys of connecting with the natural world. And mm. this podcast is really shepherding people back to nature wherever they're at in their journey, even if they're not even conscious of the the place that they're in when they're mm. in it. Um So what would you say to someone who is in the city and who wants to form a deeper connection to nature or who is just at the very beginning of Mm -hmm. this journey? Nothing that you're going to buy is going to connect you to the earth or save the planet. I think looking around me in the city, I see more people using metal straws than participating in like direct action in the climate crisis um, and during the climate strikes recently, the reusable bottles that you're buying and the straws that you're buying and the organic cotton underwear that you're wearing is all still garbage to this earth. And by just making the best use of the things that we already have, um, And also, like, checking ourselves when we experience, like, want and desire. I find our—I find for myself, like, living in a really small house has made me stop buying things for the most part over the last eight years that I've lived there. And that means that I waste less um, because I just, like, don't have room to to collect more items. And there are so many ways to— 
camp without like having technical <laughs> gear. And um, while technical gear is great for backpacking, like I think that being forced to um, think critically about like the elements and your experience and also to to embrace like the trial um, is going to help root you more in a place, whether that's like cooking your food over fire or being cold, sleeping on snow or getting rained on and not having like a waterproof jacket. Like being clumsy in nature is one of the things that I feel like roots me most in the earth. Um, because the more separate our lives are and the more separate like our, our like things make us, um, like less penetrable they make us, whether it's like a waterproof jacket or something like I don't feel like I'm connecting more. I feel like a tourist. Um, so yeah, nothing that you're going to buy is going to make you connected more with nature. You just have to do it. And if you don't have the things that you think that you need, just do it anyway. <laughs> you know, there's gonna... people that are like connected to their earth with like significantly less privilege than we have. Yeah. And are better stewards of the planet because of their relationship to it. Yeah. Something that, my boyfriend talks to me a lot about because he built his own house mm -hmm. is like it really taught him to surrender to the unpredictability of nature oh, yeah. and also like you said just if it's raining it's okay mm -hmm. your skin will get wet but it will also dry yeah and I think we this comes up a lot in interviews where this idea that we have tried to block out nature or overtake it, like either protect ourselves from it by mm -hmm. all of the temperature regulations that we have in our houses or protective gear or overtake it in terms of let's sculpt the land in the way that we want or mm -hmm. let's shape this or that. or um, But in the end, it's, it's a very empty path for us. And I do believe we're like biologically programmed to connect mm -hmm. with our environment. We're animals and we're, we are nature. Mm -hmm. We're not separate from it. And at the same time, I also believe that there is nothing that we can do as humans that is more powerful. So it's, uh, it's a futile Mm -hmm. exercise in the end anyways yeah I think a lot of people our age and you know in our generation and then all the generations younger um we don't really know a world that is strictly direct concrete connection um I had the internet in elementary school even though I had you know, even though we lived in the woods on a farm, like we had a computer and I talked to people in other parts of the world on the internet and, um, spent time like interacting in that way. And, um, now so much of our lives I think is, is consumed by that, that we don't really remember any other way. Um, I mean, I'm 30, almost 31. So I've never had an adult life without, um, like technological uh, mediation. So I think that we have to work extra hard to interact and engage with um, the natural world because we have to familiarize ourselves with it in a way that previous generations um, just had by proxy of the times that they lived in. How do you think that's going to affect our children? You know, whether not, maybe not, it doesn't mean I'm assuming you're going to have kids, but like the earth's children. Yeah. I probably won't have kids because, um, of the impact I, on the I environment. You think that that would be like abusive bringing them up into a world like this and being like, good luck. Yeah. Um, but I think that, um, kids will struggle to understand each other. Not, not only as kids, like people will struggle to understand each other because so many interactions uh, will be made with a screen involved. And, um, you know, like for however many centuries we've evolved 
to read body language and facial expressions and tone of voice. So now that we are entering this world where much of our dialogue is without that, um, especially for someone like me, like I live alone, um, and a lot of my work involves interfacing with people through a computer. Um, and I don't feel like I connect to pe- people as people um, in that way. So I, I think that like having emotional connections will be harder for for younger generations um, unless like the effort is made to really build a foundation for like real connection. Yeah, it's an interesting shift to feel like connecting with something that is natural to us inherently mm-hmm. has to come from a concerted effort. Yeah, <laughs> it does. And I think that that effort is like, it's overwhelming because, you know, I have a lot of friends who really care about connection and the natural world, but who maybe never text back like or it's you know it's hard to get a hold of them to then have those face-to-face interactions so a lot of us are suffering from like the overwhelming way that we're living now such that we retreat into ourselves so that connection like takes a group effort we all have to know how important it is and how worth it it is just leave the house. Like if you're feeling like you need to retreat and isolate, call a friend and maybe isolate with them together. Um, I feel like that sounds like a radical idea, which is sad. It is sad. Yeah, it is sad. Um, Yeah. I tell my friends, like if you're feeling really bad and you don't want to talk to anyone and you just want to wear a sweatshirt and like stare at a screen, like you can call me and you can do it at my house, you know? Or we can go do it in a park together and there's no expectation to like perform. Um, But just to know what it feels like to have someone next to you without effort. It's like something that I feel like we forget nowadays. Yeah. In thinking about how nature is becoming more and more unfamiliar to us and therefore uncomfortable maybe because of its unfamiliarity... I've also had this experience recently because I'm a lot more conscious of it and I'm settling into myself. I'm also almost 32. Oh my God. (laughs) In a month. So I'm still 31. But, and I do remember a time when we were really little and we didn't have phones. That Mm. was, I believe we still had internet at the time, but um, we didn't have phones. But anyways, The experience that I've had recently that's been really interesting is going out into the natural world and noticing myself shutting down and resisting it Mm -hmm. because I feel that if I were to open myself up to it, it would be so overwhelming in in like incredible way that I, that it would, so overwhelming in an incredible way that it would overtake me and... I just have, it's like, it almost feels... It's like a fear of giving in to being. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like the way that I think of it is in The Matrix when... Um, for the record, seen, I have actually never seen The Matrix. Okay. Well, I'll explain <laughs> it to I you. But I plan yes. to. Okay. Neither has my friend, actually. This is a, a recurring thing. We can have a screening. But in The Matrix, basically, he says, take the red pill or the blue pill. And once you take one, we'll show you the reality of existence and what's happening which Mm -hmm. is that we're in a matrix it's really philosophical and beautiful in a way and the other one is you'll live in the world of illusion but everything will be taken care of you'll have all the money you want you'll have all of your desires met but it will be a fake world which one do you take and he takes and you can't go back and he takes he chooses the real world obviously Mm -hmm. um and then becomes neo and whatever or yeah but um it kind of feels like that. It feels that if you, if I open myself up to it, there's no going back after that. Yeah. And it's an incredible feeling, but I, I wanted to ask you about that feeling. And because my guess is that a lot of people, whether they're conscious of it or not, resist nature for that reason. Oh, definitely. I think I have, I have to resist nature for that reason in order to get through 
my day without like hating everyone and everything. I mean, that sounds really harsh, I guess, but um, it wouldn't be possible for me to survive in Los Angeles working in like the entertainment industry if I allowed myself to care more. Um, so I, I noticed when I came back from Standing Rock, um, I was set on giving up my house and my job and I started selling all my things on the internet and then ended up staying. Um, but I don't feel like I ever inserted myself back into the life that I had decided to leave. Um, because it has not been, it's, it was no longer reconcilable that I experienced like the taste of a new world that we were building together at Standing Rock and new ways of relating and, um, really reducing our need for things. Um, and then to come back into a place like this of so much consumption and performance and, um, uh, yeah, you, you can't do both and survive, like, with mental stability. Can you talk about that experience in Standing Rock specifically, what you mean by you can't... Yeah. You wanted to change your world. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard to connect to... Well, not hard to connect to. It's, it's hard to um, articulate memories from Standing Rock because it was an abstract experience, um, with a lot of trauma. Um, but basically like the day to day that I experienced there was like waking up before the sun and spending all day walking around on dirt paths, um, meeting people who needed help, like building something or thinking through a problem or um, connecting spiritually. And being there for over a month, I mean, some people were there for so much longer, but for me, I felt like I was really reminded of like how much those experiences are lacking in my life. And... Um, it was no question for me that the life that I had in LA, I mean, I kind of already knew this, which is why I would go to something like Standing Rock, but that, that the life that I was like tr desperately trying to make sense of, um, in LA, like was not going to give me any of these things. Um, and, um, to be able to sign off like your, to sign over all of, all of your like possessions and all of the notoriety that you've built for, um, mutual aid and like protecting the earth to me feels like the only option for, for me. Um, I, I can't actually reason any other option. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I want to say like, just for anyone listening to this, like I am like a city girl. I like having clean yeah, I wonder nice what shoes are, like, and picturing yeah know? yeah like They're, I like, mean I grew up in the woods with like and... hippie family a hippie family and like I hated it I wanted like you know we didn't have anything and we didn't have money and I wanted nice clothes and I wanted to go to a nice restaurant I wanted like material things and and like capital wealth um but uh it's it's not like the the way that I found like to feel the best um so I'm really retreating back into like the things that feel more real to to me um yeah it's an illusion <laughs> it like is an illusion it's yeah like the matrix the promise of it's a fulfillment myth. and happiness yeah and we all you know I've been thinking a lot about this book City of Courts by Mike Davis which was written ages ago but um talks about how he talks about like all the myths that go into building a place like LA and that in order for us to survive here, like we all participate in that myth-making in order for us to believe in our lives here and the trajectory of our careers here. And I noticed um, after reading that, I noticed like my, my 
life outside of my house the second I leave my door is like participating in that myth making. Um, and I don't have like a carpe diem. This is my only life type of approach. I might be a little bit more nihilistic than that, but like, this is the life that I have. It might be the only one who knows. Um, so like, I don't want to participate in myth making. And I do believe that at the end of the day, like deep down people aren't happy with just that. Yeah. I think that's why everyone's always seeking more and more and more because they're under the illusion that that will be the fulfilling thing. And then once they get that, you hear time and time again with like celebrity interviews, they mm -hmm. say it was not until I achieved everything that I wanted ever that I felt the worst ever. Yeah. I think because we think that we want things because we see them, but it's not actually like want or need or fulfilling to us. And, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like you can, you can like sleep well at night for your whole life, just like consuming things and, doing what you see people doing around you or working for and like people there are a lot of people who are really happy doing that I'm just unfortunately like not able to pull that off yeah so when I look around and I see the mental health decline in this country especially and I think about like how this is the like the land of opportunity and how privileged people in like this country are I wonder why we're so sad and it makes perfect sense because we're like existing in like a really tired capitalist society that like is not actually functioning for any of us. But it's that's like seems like such a political abstract to people who don't consider it that they still go through the motions all day, every day that are actually just upholding that illusion, um, myself included. And I think it's really hard because it's almost like counter counterculture you have to go against everything that you're taught and everything that society approves of mm -hmm. everything that our economic system approves of I personally started this podcast for that exact reason of moving to the city same I grew up in the country I was like screw that I want to be in a big city and I want to do fashion and then I got there and it was so empty mm -hmm. and luckily I ended up working at a sustainable brand so in many ways it was really aligned with and it's it's the real deal unlike a lot of brands but and I felt really fulfilled there because it was really trying to change that industry however I got you know the more that I detached myself from nature the sicker I got the less healthy I got physically and emotionally mm -hmm. and I just felt an emptiness and until I began to reconnect with my child self, which in many ways was nature, with was myself in nature, the mm -hmm. the more I I experienced like joy and true connection with people, and the happier I become. Like right now, I can say on this podcast, I'm the poorest I've ever been in my life. I will say I'm also probably one of the happiest I've been mm -hmm. in years because I just understand like what really matters mm -hmm. and I pursue those things and there's a freedom in that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I chose, <laughs> I completely relate to that. You know, my, 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 both my parents were self-employed farmers and my mom was a, a landscaper and um my dad always used to say that he chose that because he was a he was a cartographer and a surveyor before I was born and he made more money but he chose being a farmer because it allowed him to be working at home while he had kids and was a single parent and um and that it made him happy and I always thought like well that it would be really cool also though if I could go to college yeah. like so maybe I wish you had a different job but now here I am and I moved to LA to act and model 13 years ago and I quit doing that pretty quickly and then my two passions are like botany okay botany is not going to lead you to pros financial prosperity and then photography <laughs> and I do you know reportage journalism which is also not going to lead me to financial prosperity but 
I feel more connected to what I'm doing and it doesn't feel like my job. I mean, the stress of not making money really is yeah, that's pretty overwhelming yeah. though, living in an expensive city. But um, I'm really happy to like not be, I don't know, like caught up in needing to break away from the work day. <laughs> yeah. I would say that that's, a, that's a, the definition of a meaningful life. Yeah, I feel weird saying all of that, I guess, because not everybody has, like, yeah, this, like, option to be a freelancer, is, it really is such a privilege. It is a privilege. And it, I don't think people understand, like, who don't do it, like, understand how hard of work it is to make very little money. And some people make a ton of money doing it. But, like, this is the path that I chose, and I think it's better for me, like, psychologically to have less money and feel more flexible and fluid be able to listen to my body if I'm not feeling well to not have to go to a job and perform under a boss and yeah put on my like uniform and my face (laughs) well going back to what you do which is take photos what has photographing the natural world taught you about yourself I've learned that I feel generally disconnected from a lot of things, um, except the natural world. When I look at the, like over the last week, I've gone through over 15,000 of my photos, which (laughs) because I'm shooting film and there's 36 pictures on a roll and that's 15,000 photos divided by 36, like that basically account is like a lot of experiences that I had. And I see how my distance from my subjects um, has changed over the years. So whether that's like connecting with people showing up uh, um, throughout the years in the images um, or like times when the photos are of nature specifically are like pretty bad photos, I'm able to recognize, like, oh, I, I wasn't present in that place. Like, I didn't connect into, like, usually compositions really pop out at me, especially in natural spaces. Um, and when I come home and I develop my film and I see that there aren't, like, natural compositions present, I know that I was not actually there. Um, I, I wasn't really dropping into the place. Um, and that's usually because of something that was distracting me that is, like, significantly less important than the earth. Uh, like money or boys or stress or my phone so it's like a way that I'm able to kind of check myself through time like oh you were scared when you shot that like or with camping I or like travel backpacking I get lazy I think like I see shots and I'm like oh I don't really want to get it I just want to be here so maybe sometimes the photos mean that I actually was more connected to being there <laughs> instead of trying to capture it. I'm not sure. That hasn't, yeah, that wasn't a very clear answer, but it, it teaches me a lot about my connection. If someone is interested in natural photography or, or just sort of, well, they've done studies that show that even looking at a photo of nature mm-hmm. elicits like, dopamine and and serotonin in your oh, good. brain. I do yeah, it all day. that's why that's why I mean, I don't know. This is probably not why, but I feel like on the screensavers that come with your computer uh-huh. are of natural landscapes and maybe they have they I knew should that, make screensavers for people. Yeah, you should. That'd be so helpful. So, my question is if someone is interested in this, who are photographers that you really love and maybe even photographers or some books that have really touched your life? <laughs> I can't think of off the top of my head a single landscape or like wildlife photographer that I like at all. Cool. Which is, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm... I'm so much more inspired by photojournalists who were photographing like people interacting in like in the, in their lives. Um, the books that I feel like inspire my photography the most are uh, like 
political books um, and books about like instructionary ecology. Um, it's not like visual aids, but I think, um, gosh, who were like, you know, those old um, books of like different wooden houses or houseboats. Mm -hmm. They're like from the 60s. Mm -hmm. It's really beautiful. I think yeah. it was. Um, and there's a certain publisher. Scrit. Yeah, there Scrimshaw, must be because they all look the same. Scrimshaw publishing i love those books they they show me like warm tones and natural spaces and if anything like i guess that inspires my photography because there's like really nice warm shadows in the images there and i've integrated a lot of warm shadows into my work um but i think that the best thing that you can do is just like be outside actually um if you're able to even if you have like a you know mobility challenge um you know find a way to like insert yourself outside and observe and be present there even if it's just like outside your door um because that's what's made my photography better is like noticing actively noticing things whether it's the shape of a tree from staring at it for potentially too long or um yeah the way that things come together or change so if someone wanted to find your photography, where would they find it? <laughs> I'm in the process of building a website. I think everyone that has a website is always saying that. Um, <laughs> rebuilding website. But I really like sharing to my Instagram. Um, I do it pretty regularly, um, which is Maury Steele, M-O-R-I-S-T-E-E-L-E. -E -E. Um, and I like to share my photography on Instagram because I think social media is a sad place and if you're going to be like staring at your screen maybe I can help you release a little dopamine by tossing I, I a found that mountain percent. in there yeah. every now and then um yeah that's how <laughs> the last five questions are a rapid fire round okay you don't need to be super rapid but okay don't overthink them okay what is your favorite place in nature oh goodness um, the Northern California coastline. Near Big Sur, kind of, or? Way north. Like, the Lost Coast. What is the animal, mineral, or plant that resonates with you the most? Bryophytes. It's like a type of moss. Um, yeah. <laughs> you just like them? Um, mosses really thrive in like wet environments and um, are so cushy and gentle and um, I think like humble, <laughs> humble presenting. What is one thing we can do right now to connect with the natural world and bring more harmony into our lives? Put down your phone right now after you're done listening to this podcast and step outside of your door and just look up for I don't know, five minutes. And then, like, if you feel good having done that, then go further because it's worth it. What is the greatest lesson nature has taught you? That humans are trash. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah, it's all our fault. <laughs> Complete this sentence. Nature brings me... <laughs> Um, life. Yeah. Life. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Thank you. Yeah. This was such a pleasure. Can I make a book recommendation? Yeah. I read this book in middle school. It's a young adult book. It really changed my life. I didn't realize at the time how real this, this book would become, but it's called Feed by M.T. Anderson. And it's a dystopian young adult book um, that was way ahead of its time. It was written in the 90s. If any big film executives are listening to this, I would like to make it a movie, a really good one. But um, it's set in the future in a time when everybody has a chip inserted in their head that is called the feed, and it you get like algorithmically programmed ads based on your taste and the things that you're saying and doing and thinking. And there's a girl 
in it that um, her dad didn't let her get it. I don't remember if it was an issue of, um, like, maybe they weren't financially stable or something happened, but she spends the book in this relationship with someone who has it, and she's constantly trying to get them to, like, defy the feed, um, to, like, look at or talk about things that she's not actually interested in so that she can't get commercials programmed, like, to what she is actually interested in. And that book was so beautiful and depressing to me um, that it, it, like, really, it built a foundation before social media and before, like, you know, ads being marketed to us um, of, like, defying that in some way. Um, So finding ways to, like, use the Internet and our resources against themselves. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Feed. Get in the system to change Yeah. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, this is <laughs> wonderful. You just listened to my conversation with the photographer Molly Steele. If you enjoyed this episode, please forward it to a friend or a family member who you think will enjoy the conversation as well. We've got a few more episodes left of season one of Our Nature, and so I hope you'll join me in two weeks when I talk to Ara Katz, who is the co-founder and CEO of Seed Probiotics, all about our microbiome. It's a fascinating and informative conversation, and I'll see you then. You just listened to an episode of the Our Nature podcast. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review it. Thank you so much for listening. Stay curious, and I'll see you next week.